Hey guys, can you see me? Can you see me? Just give me a yes. We're good? Can I get a yes? Somebody write a yes. We are good. All right. Uh, I, I thought that the thing would come on live by itself because I had uh, scheduled it for 1.30, but apparently I still have to go in and fix it. So remember, guys, this all works on uh, your generosity and kindness. My goodness, Jeff Horton, what a way to start. Uh, well, my testosterone have just gone up, uh, Mr. Horton, based on the incredible generosity of your uh, super chat donation. I truly appreciate that. Uh, you don't have a question, so I will move on. But I will say, if everybody were as generous as you, we'd now be living in Florida where I can pursue uh, intellectual endeavors void of any shackles, void of any taxes, void of any governmental intervention. Leo, thank you so much for your contribution. Thoughts on fat shaming? I think it's necessary. It's funny you say this, uh, Leo. I just posted uh, a clip on the Jordan uh, Peterson issue with his tweet about the the, the model. Uh, so I won't repeat it here. I'll post it later. I mean, I, I uploaded it, but I haven't posted it publicly yet. Look, uh, fat shaming someone in a way that you know hurts their feeling may not be the best approach, but being honest with someone, right? Telling them, hey, look, uh, this is not going to go well if you if you stay overweight and I care about you and I want you to be as healthy as you can. I mean, is is your physician fat shaming you when he or she says you need to lose 50 pounds? So this idea that your feelings supersede diabetes and all sorts of other health consequences that comes with, with being overweight is ridiculous. And so I spoke about this in the context of what Jordan had written, not just to, you know, blindly defend Jordan because he's my friend, but because I think it's important for people to have some, uh, you know, measured nuanced thinking when, when, you know, feeling so uh, such ire and so triggered because, you know, he, he posted something that appeared to be insensitive. I don't think that was his intention. I think his tweet was poorly structured. Uh, but I think, uh, underneath all that, there was an important message to take away, right? Uh, you know, fatness is not a social construct. Diabetes is not a social construct. Colon cancer is not a social construct. Being at a higher risk for strokes and uh, heart disease is not a social construct. And all those come with you being overweight. So if you want to call it fat shaming, fine. I call it honest feedback. So thank you for that question. Let me move on to some other folks. Uh, if we have any, uh, all right. So the first one we had was, I still don't know how to only focus on the super chat. So I just scroll down like an idiot. Uh, John Watts, please make the area on the table more comfortable. And <laughs> thank you, Mr. Watts. Uh, yes, uh, I do end up spending quite a bit of time under the bed and not the bed, the, the desk. And so I think I need to put a fridge there or a sofa or a lounge or something that makes it a bit more amenable to spending most of my time hiding under the desk. Uh, so yes, thank you for that. I am looking at all possibilities in terms of moving uh, out of Quebec. Uh, these things are not easy to do. You know, I, I am a tenured professor of almost 30 years. Tenure is a golden handcuffs. People, let's keep the super chats going. Don't forget, this only works, not only if we have fun, but also if one's 
time in this case is uh, supported and monetized. So please, if you support my work, consider uh, giving a donation, a super chat. But so, yeah, so we are thinking about making a move eventually to a place that is more congruent with our sense of freedom. So we'll see. Uh, Kyle Irwin, thank you so much for your contribution. Hi, Godfather, huge fan. Any plans to release the children books for com- for becoming a honey badger? It's interesting you say this, Mr. Irwin. Uh, I have been uh, asked to you know produce a, a a more child-friendly version of the parasitic mind, uh, of which you know chapter eight talks about activating your inner honey badger. Uh, I'm not sure if I will or not. Uh, I definitely think that there is room for that. I'll certainly speak to my publisher about it, but I don't like to be sort of a one-trick pony. There are, there are a lot of things I want to say. You know, none as are important as uh, the parasitic mind in that you're trying to defend Western civilization from imploding. But, you know, I don't want to just keep milking that. So this is why my next book is about a recipe for the good life, which is, you know, very different than the negative mindsets of the parasitic uh, brain. So we'll see. Uh, but it's certainly on the list. Uh, all right. Next, we're going to Erica Lee. Thank you very much for your contribution. Uh, twice I see Erica Lee. Once, smaller mountain. So thank you for both donations. Uh, no no statement, no questions asked. So I will just uh, move on and I'll just read any random one that I see. What is the most legitimate criticism of the parasitic mind? <laughs> Frankly, the main criticism has been that it hasn't been read in my sultry, mellifluous, deep voice. And as I've explained on countless occasions, that decision is ultimately left to the publisher, in this case, the audio publisher. So the the, the audio rights are sold from my publisher, who's Regnery, to the audio publisher. And then I had offered to read uh, my book and you know in my voice uh, to narrate it. And I don't know if it was because of COVID. I don't know if it's because I would have probably charged them more than their in-house narrator. They said, no, no, we, we're good. We'll go with our in-house narrator. And so that's what happened. So that's probably, and I'm luckily, the, the, the main consistent criticism. Jay Adams, thank you for your uh, donation. No, no questions asked, so we'll move on. Does a nomological network motivate people to admit weaker evidence than they otherwise would? Uh, look, a nomological network is supposed to construct all evidence stemming from all distinct lot sources of you know evidence across time, across eras, across animals, across cultures, irrespective of where the evidence takes you, right? So if some of the evidence in one of the boxes in the nomological network is contrary to your uh, the arguments that you're trying to make, then if you're honest, you have to present everything. It's the totality of the nomological network that then allows you to say, look, there is overwhelming, unassailable, incontrovertible evidence in support of my position or not. So if you are an unbiased purveyor of the information, then it shouldn't matter. There you go. Let's keep going. Uh, uh, we've got uh, Kenny Demeter. I was going to ask any new books you are working on. So let me mention again uh, very briefly uh you know one of the one of the sources of greatest excitement that uh, i receive when i post something is if i post something that sounds like advice and people are very uh uh you know uh, invigorated by it they, they they feel happy that someone is giving them you know what appears to be a prescription about some important cause so it's not as though this is the first time i discovered the value of you know self-help issues 
but you know i never thought that uh, i might you know be writing a book on on this general sort of prescriptive type of how to live a better life and so on but then many people wrote to me saying hey you know you seem to you know to to always be happy and jovial and excited about life you know what what's your secret and so as i started to offer f- feedback to that question and you know answer the question I was astounded by the positive re- response that I received. I mean, not unlike, of course, you know, Jordan Peterson's uh, 12 rules for life is, is exactly that, right? Here are 12 rules that, you know, you should follow and hopefully they, they'll lead you to a better place. And so I decided to write a book on, you know, how to achieve a good life using both my, you know, personal anecdotes, right? So it's very much GAD specific but also backed up by the relevant science, you know, in general and, you know, behavioral science in particular. And so it's a really nice melange of, you know, my own life uh, coupled with, you know, some academic uh, backing. Uh, Actually, just this morning, I was going through the second read of uh, the first draft. Uh, So if all goes well, probably in the next two, three weeks, I should be able to send the first draft to my publisher. So let's see. You know, after you've had a book uh, that's been, you know, thankfully as successful as The Parasitic Mind, you're a bit gun shy because you, you're like, will the next book beat it? Will it be a disappointment compared to it? So there's a bit of that stressor. My, my previous books had all been, you know, successful, but within their own context. So, for example, these two books are academic books, meaning that they're, the, the market is much smaller. It's meant for other academics to read it and so on. So, uh but the parasitic mind was a you know huge bestseller, so you know I hope that the next one will be as good. I hope that I don't disappoint you. Moving on to the next person, uh, Suleiman. Let me just come a second here. What's worse, anarchy or totalitarian government? Wow, that's a good one. Uh, I mean, both are not the ideal, right? Uh, as I explain in my next book about the inverted U, too little of something is not good, too much of something is not good. Somewhere in the middle is the sweet spot. Something that many. Uh, philosophers have opined about in the past. Confucius did so, Buddha did so, of course, Aristotle did so. I discuss all this in my next book. I think somewhere between anarchy and totalitarianism is uh, the sweet spot. Uh, You know, governments uh, should be there to provide uh, the most minimal of services, which we otherwise couldn't have, the defense uh, domestically and and, uh, from outside, from outside enemies providing us roads, uh, having a police force and so on, uh, and then F off, stay out of our way. I don't need a 22-year-old police uh, woman or man to be uh, standing and hiding in my neighborhood to see if I jaywalk or not. As a 57-year-old man who was probably more intelligent uh, than you when I was seven, uh, I'm speaking about the cop right now, uh, I probably was able to navigate through life such that if it's a one-way street on a quiet neighborhood street, I could see if there's an incoming car and deciding whether I should cross the street or not. And I don't need your help in crossing. They they stand there and they give jaywalking tickets. So imagine the level of intrusion that you know someone who is old enough to be you know as as old as my socks is there to say no, you don't cross now. I tell you when to cross, and if you don't cross when the light says so. I will pay, I will, you know, I will give you a ticket. Uh, so anarchy is not good. Totalitarianism is not good. Uh, some minimal level of government intrusion into our lives is okay. And then you F off. Then we move on to the next person, Erica Lee. 
Thank you for your additional Jay Adams job advice for men in the current. You might need to increase your super chat number by a bit for such a broad question. Look, uh, it might sound like a cleat, but no, but thank you for your donation, uh, Mr. Adams. Uh, it's going to sound cliche-ish, but uh, just be true to your principles. I'd rather live honestly for five minutes than to live a hundred years uh, in falsehood and cowardice and apathy. And so... Uh, you know, I understand that people shouldn't be reckless martyrs, but you also shouldn't uh, compromise all of your principles for a job. You, you'll feel icky about yourself existentially. Be authentic. All right, moving on. I hope I don't. Oh, we've got. Okay, I want to make sure I don't miss. Uh, Michael Cahill, what an incredible donation. Thank you so much. You're incredibly kind and generous. I appreciate it greatly. You know, it makes you feel more than the money. It makes you feel good when someone you know, puts, puts a value to your work. And so I thank you for that generous donation, Mr. Cahill. Will you address the evolutionary foundations of mass formation? Uh, I mean, in the way that it's been used recently, I haven't talked about it, but I did talk about sort of the mass psychogenic uh, mechanisms. And in a sense, a lot of the stuff that I talk about in the, in the parasitic mind deals with that, right? I mean, uh, uh, but yeah, I haven't done a, a full treatise of, the evolutionary roots of this uh, mass formation, you know, this kind of collective psychosis. Maybe I will. Uh, there are all sorts of evolutionary angles that you could take, but I, I'd prefer to think about it some more rather than sort of off the cuff offer you some speculative evolutionary explanation. So let me put that on my to-do list. I, I am aware that I think, was it Robert Malone? Is that the, the name of the gentleman who appeared on Joe Rogan and kind of discussed this issue? But this is hardly, I mean, he may have put a new twist to that name, but this is something, I mean, you know, the the the, the tulip market in the Netherlands several hundred years ago relates to that kind of mechanism. The mass uh, psychogenic, uh, you know, hysterical laughter that, that you know, uh, grips whole villages where people laugh uncontrollably is a similar thing. So he's hardly the first person to have uh, documented this mechanism, albeit you know, he was linking it to the COVID reality. So in that sense, it's a new link. But that psychological state is one that's been covered many times, although not necessarily from an evolutionary perspective. So, so certainly something for me to think about. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Cahill. Kyle is back. Thank you. Oh, th my pleasure. Another question. Thoughts on the Lebanese elections? I saw on Twitter that Talib is optimistic. So I haven't followed. I mean, I knew that there were elections. I think it was last week. Uh and actually, I was wondering whether I could vote in them. Not that I have been following, because I haven't really renewed my Lebanese passport ever since leaving. I don't even know if I'd be in the system somehow. Uh, but uh, so I can't sp specifically talk about the election results, but um, I'm probably not as optimistic as Nassim Talib. I, I do feel that the, you know, one should always be, you know, minimally optimistic because otherwise what's the point of getting out of bed but it seems that between the identity politics in lebanon the 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 the, the factions many of which could never agree with each other so that they can't super you know uh, transcend their tribal differences in a common you know unified country what led us to have to escape lebanon but also the the endemic corruption that is you know, literally part of every single DNA fiber of Lebanese society. I'm not sure how you're going to eradicate that. So uh, 
having not seen what Nassim said about uh, the Lebanese elections, I'm probably going to score as more pessimistic than him, unfortunately. But by the way, one of my greatest goals in life, well, not goals, but uh, you know, a strong desire, a bucket list would be to one day return to Lebanon to take my family there, my children. I've always regretted the fact that they don't uh, speak Arabic. Uh, you know, that's that's their culture, that's their background. Uh, and so, inshallah, one day we will return to Lebanon. All right, let me move on to the next person. Uh, Ivan Blantojevich. I work at a big tech, a big name tech company. I've seen a trend with management starting to deny woke activists censorship demands is the mind virus dying off i don't know about dying off but i do feel as though we may have crossed uh sort of the the woke the peak woke inflection point uh you know uh we're seeing you know the pushback with the against the crt from all of the parents that you know that's been of course spearheaded by christopher rufo you know, we're seeing some of the companies now, Netflix, saying, hey, you don't like the content we create. Don't let the door hit you, hit your ass on the way out. People respond to concrete consequences. And when it comes to business, when it comes to academia, the administrators or the executives are going to pay attention if it starts to cost them money to be asshole woke people. And so I do see a bit of a turn. Am I Am I willing to say that it's dying off? No. I can tell you that uh, you know I inhabit the world of academia, the original ecosystem for all this bullshit, and I don't see it uh, softening in the least bit. If anything, I see it increasing orgiastically. Now, it could be the case that before something dies off is when it's most you know virulent. So maybe it's good news, but I certainly don't see uh, the dying off of this bullshit in academia. Thank you very much for your contribution. Calm on ground. Thank you very much for your contribution. How do we bring back viewpoint diversity and open discussion? Are we as a culture becoming too unable to find out? Are, these, are, you, are the, the, there students where you teach who can rise above? Yes. Look, it, my own students I've never had problem with, uh, in part because I actually don't engage a lot of... The, I mean, I do engage these conversations that are related to the pathogens you know, in the parasitic mind. For example, when I talk about, you know, evolutionary psychology, I discuss social constructivism or biophobia, the fear of using biology to explain human behavior, or, you know, the idiocy of militant feminism that denies innate sex differences. But I don't do it, uh, you know, wearing my hat of a public intellectual who's trying to slay all the stupidity. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very, very professorial in the sense that I restrict my conversations to the, the the content and the guidelines of my course. And so I've really never had any trouble with my own students. But of course, at my university, there's a gigantic legion of, you know, you know woke people. Uh, luckily for me, I've been able to stay clear of them, or maybe they stay clear of me. Uh, I've had a few, you know, very negative consequences. As I've explained before, I've been denied a chaired professorship four years in a row even though it was a no-brainer that I should get it on objective metrics. Uh, you know, there's been all kinds of other negative consequences that I've had to suffer. But generally speaking, the way that, you know, I'm punished at my university is that I'm largely ignored by my university, which, of course, that itself is a strong punishment because you'd think that they would be uh, proud to have me there. No such thing, unfortunately. 
how do we bring back viewpoint diversity? Well, I mean, I discuss all that in the parasitic mind. One way is that you don't have uh, most of the professors coming from one political aisle, especially when you're dealing with uh, fields like sociology and political science and economics, where there aren't always incontrovertible scientific truths. There are valuable points for every issue on both sides of the political aisle. And so by trying to make sure that we create an ecosystem that is amenable to professors having multiple viewpoints, political viewpoints, I think that's how it then trickles down to creating less of an echo chamber. Uh, Anthony Gridley, thank you so much for your uh, contribution. Let me go back because I just skipped it. Hold on a second. Where are you? I, I got. I have to find a better way to manage these. Okay, bit of a dark question, but is there an evolutionary reason history for pedophilia? There seems to be a spike in the region I live. I I don't know about the epidemiological realities in your case. I I don't. I I certainly have never seen uh, an evolutionary explanation for pedophilia because you know it's it certainly is not adaptive in the most obvious sense, right? I mean, if you're if you're sexually attracted to kids who are not in the reproductive window. I mean, if if you mean, if you include in pedophilia so, someone who's 16 years old, that's a different uh, meaning of pedophilia than if you're, if you're sexually attracted to a six-year-old, right? My parents got married when my mother was about to be 16 and my father was 19. So was my father pedophilic? But of course not. Uh, so, you know, it really depends what you mean by that. Uh, I, I, you know, I think it's a, one day what I'm about to say will be construed as marginalizing the pedophiles. By the way, there are some people who are now trying to do exactly that. You know, it's just one of many different sexual attractions. No, it isn't because a child can't grant sexual consent, right? So therefore, by by no stretch of any logic should you be tolerant toward that. Uh, I think it's just an aberration, right? In the same way that some people are born... Uh, very tall or very short or, uh, you know, with particular congenital uh, abnormalities uh, by whatever proximate mechanism that codes our sexual preferences, uh, being attracted to children is an aberration. You know, shit goes wrong and pedophilia is one such example. Okay, uh, Camille Trezbiatowski, I hope I haven't destroyed your name. From the UK, any advice to a parent who'd like to bring up a child to have a chance to be open-minded, committed to free speech in this current world? Engage your children, you know, talk to them. Uh, don't infantilize them, right? Uh, I'm incredibly protective of my children. I love the fact that they are innocent. I, As I've explained in the past, I'm protected by their innocence, right? The, the outside world out there is can be ugly, but then I come home, I've got my wife, I've got my children. Ah, the sanctuary is safe. But that notwithstanding, I also don't want them to exist in a in a faux bubble, right? Uh, I want them to be aware of things that are happening. And so, you know, my son will watch political television with me and ask questions that are absolutely incredible. So a couple of days ago, we were watching, uh, I think it was, uh, you know, some clip from CNN. I know, I know. And, uh, and, it was something that a pundit had said that you wouldn't expect on CNN. And so he said, Daddy, 
Isn't that strange that someone would be saying this on CNN? He's 10 years old. The fact that he could make that link, the fact that he could listen to someone on CNN, recognize that that forum would not be conducive to someone saying that, and then asking me gives you a sense of his intellectual engagement. So what is the advice that I have for you? Engage your children. Yes, they're little people. Yes, they might like to play and horse around in the backyard, but they also have developing brains. Treat them with the dignity that they certainly deserve. God damn, this strikes me as we need to be increasing our uh, super chat donations. Couch, thank you so much for your donation. I love you, brother. Thank you for being a light in this crazy world. What a beautiful thing to say. You know, I have to tell you, it's not easy doing what I do. You know, you, you it can be very stressful. Uh, you know, it can be overwhelming. Uh, but there's so much more positive than negative. Uh, you know, out of out of a million people who might write to me, 99.9% are just saying the most beautiful, kind, supportive, loving things. And who wouldn't be, uh, you know, thankful for that, right? I mean, I do what I do because you want your work to matter. You want people to say, hey, I, I love your work in evolution psychology. Hey, I, I love your jovial nature. It inspires me. Hey, I, I was so motivated when you lost weight. So in whatever way I can introduce positivity into the world i know it sounds like a cliche but but it truly isn't uh i'm happy you know i know that in whatever small way that i've been able to achieve you know i've hopefully you know left the beach cleaner than when i first got to the beach and so thank you mr couch i truly appreciate your kind words uh isaac 7600 thank you for your contribution how could evolution help us understand the lack of logical thinking when trying to understand complex social problems is emotion stronger thank you well Somebody hasn't read The Parasitic Mind. That's exactly what I talk about in the entire book. So I'm not going to rehash it here if you forgive me. But regarding emotion, yes. I mean, chapter two of The Parasitic Mind talks about feelings versus thinking, right? And I basically argue that the problem arises not because we are a thinking animal and not a uh, feeling animal. It's because we activate the wrong system at the wrong time. When I am taking a... A, a, a shortcut through a dark alley and I see four young men loitering around and my affective system gets triggered. My fear-based response gets triggered. There's nothing wrong in this case with my emotional system being activated. If I'm trying to choose which president should be my leader, it shouldn't be my affective system that gets triggered. It should be my cognitive system that gets triggered, not my heart, but my mind, right? And so Yes, the problem arises not so much that we use our emotions because using your emotions is perfectly in line with evolutionary principles. It's using your emotions in the wrong context. It's loving Barack Obama and hating Donald Trump, not for cognitively valid reasons, but because one is so, so handsome and mellifluous voice. The other one is such an ogre. He disgusts me. Those kinds of reactions are imbecilic because they're driven by our emotions. There you go. This is so much fun. I love to be able to do this with you guys. This is my third one, by the way, in, in a couple of weeks. And yeah, this might become kind of a regular one or two times a week feature. Uh, Riggs, thank you so much for your contribution. What probability would you put on the University of Austin succeeding higher or lower than you fleeing Canada? Uh, I don't know if it's higher or lower than me fleeing Canada, but I could tell you that I met with the president of University of Austin last week. Uh, when I spent uh, the better part of a whole week in Austin, 
That's when I did Joe Rogan's show. That's when I gave a couple of talks at the University of Texas, Austin. And then I did a podcast at the University of Austin. And then I met with the president of University of Austin. You know, it's not easy, as you might imagine, to start a brand new university in the 21st century. This is not an online university, right? This, this university has a campus. Uh, it's going to be, you know, a real university with real degree conferring abilities. So there are many, many challenges. I think they're putting together a, a strong team of, of talent that can hopefully see it to, to fruition. I think they've, they've gotten the land. They have uh, quite a bit of money that's been raised. Uh, so my prediction would be that there's, there are more chances than, than not that, that the university will go through how long it will last, how successful it will be. I don't know. Uh, but I may or may not end up playing a part, uh, at that university. We'll see, but certainly on paper, it's looking like they're trying to do some valuable things. So let's keep our fingers crossed and see what happens. Casey Kuhn. Thank you so much for your uh, contribution. Just saw a long line of young, young, fit people lined up at a cookie store. Is fit people eating desserts in a public, a version of Zahavian signaling? This could also apply to your occasional food porn posts. Well, first of all, I'm so excited that you're using Zahavian signaling in a sentence, in a super chat sentence. That's fantastic. Uh, as For those of you who don't know, let me back up. Zahavian signaling named after Amos Zahavi, who was an Israeli ornithologist who coined the term Zahavian signaling to explain why an animal would engage in behavior that uh, you know, appears to be maladaptive, that appears to be costly. He, he did it in the context of the Arabian babbler, a type of uh, bird. Uh, but Zahavian signaling applies in, in many other species. Uh, so I don't know if if the Zahavian signaling applies for fit people eating some fatty foods, because that could simply be, you know, I'm super hungry and I just have an evolutionary drive to just eat some high calorie stuff after, you know, eating tofu for three days. Uh, and so that could be the evolutionary mechanism rather than a signaling one. But I, I did serve as, I think I was associate editor of the journal evolutionary psychology um, several years ago where uh, I had handled a paper on, you know, the Zahavian signaling of binge drinking. So I think you're on to something here. I, I'm sure you can probably find the paper if you did, you know, evolutionary psychology and binge drinking. I'm almost certain that you can find the paper. And the idea there is, of course, that you are uh, engaging in this costly signal. Look, despite the fact that I can consume all this, you know, you know, unlimited amount of alcohol, I'm still standing, I'm still functioning. My constitution must be pretty strong. So there's definitely something uh, in your thought. Uh, my food porn is not really for Zahavian uh, signaling purposes. It's just my joy for life. I, you know, food is an indelible part of who we are. And I just like to share it because I want to celebrate my wife's culinary magic. And so I do. By the way, she started a channel on my, on my, you know, egging uh, a food channel called Food Satisfaction which was starting to take off. I think she had posted 10 or 11 clips. She was getting subscribers. She was getting views. And then she she decided, ah, I don't want the public eye, even though you, you never see her face for obvious reasons. Uh, I'm trying to convince her to go back to it because I think that there's real opportunity, uh, you know, for her to have fun and do, do something that she's great at. She's an unbelievable cook, truly talented. And uh, I think she should do it. So maybe I'll convince her to kind of uh, 
restart her channel in part uh, i'm thinking of doing a uh, go, joining locals to have a subscription-based uh, platform on locals and one of the things that i could do is offer exclusive content to uh, my followers or subscribers there uh, for example showing the clip of how she prepares something and then posting the recipe the step-by-step recipe that right so rather than you know giving you know i don't know how many thousands of hours of free content at this point some of this could be certainly monetized behind a subscription-based model so that's the reason for my food porn pictures i just love life and therefore i celebrate it in every way that i can varun nara yanswami my infinite apologies if i screwed up your name thank you so much for your uh, contribution dr sad i'm from india and i'm planning to do an mba in finance and canada is of course a good option is it recommended to apply and enroll only the top business schools there and what's the job process for internationals uh it's too general a question to answer your second part what are the job prospects i mean generally speaking they're still good uh it depends which field you go into you know are you are you studying behavioral finance or are you studying entrepreneurship or are you studying a general mba degree or data analytics or big data so it completely varies depending on the field so i can't give you a general question look all other things equal to the extent that uh the prestige of a university serves as a signal in the marketplace to weed you from other people Yes, it would be great for you to apply and get into as high uh, a ranking school as possible. Uh, I can tell you that uh, the John Molson School of Business, where I'm housed, uh, consistently scores as one of the top, uh, probably top three business schools in Canada. And I think we've often scored around the top 80 in the world. Uh, so you can certainly apply to JMSB or John Molson School of Business. Uh you know, there's a whole bunch of other Canadian ones that I think you're looking at that are also very good. Uh, yeah, so all other things equal, apply to the best possible schools. Now, if you were doing something involving a thesis, then my answer would be different. Why? Because there, it's not only the prestige of the school, but it's also the fit between you and your ideal prospective supervisor. You know, if you want to study uh, how to apply evolutionary psychology and consumer psychology, well, then you know, it's it's likely that you want to work under my tutelage because that's my specialty. I founded the field. Uh, and so even though you might be able to get into Stanford Business School, if you wanted to do a PhD specializing in this area, then that might define the fact that you want to work under my tutelage because at that stage, if you're getting a PhD, the letter from your supervisor becomes that important. So, so but at the MBA level, which is a professional degree, then I think the the prestige of the business school really matters. So good luck, and I hope to see you at the John Molson School of Business. Uh, all right, let's go on. Richie Ertzley, no comments, just a donation. Thank you so much. You're very, very kind. I appreciate it. Richie Ertzley comes back. Thoughts on Nassim Talib hating Jordan Peterson? Uh, I'm guessing, uh, is it that is it a recent thing, or is it traditional? Look, Nassim is someone who, uh, you know, speaks his mind doesn't modulate much sometimes i think it might be a bit too rough but he's someone who is deeply triggered by what he perceives as you know wrong think and so you know he's got basically either two modes he loves you he respects you and luckily i've always been in that category or you're a fraud you're a charlatan he hates you you're a scammer i think maybe the world is not quite so binary so as a general rule uh I don't know the specifics of what you know him hating on uh, Jordan or not. You're putting me in a difficult position because I'm, I'm good friends with both of them. Uh, I think that we can be quite 
exacting and demanding in our criticism. I, I've criticized Jordan when he has said certain things that I thought were wrong, but I never cross a certain line. And I think if we were all able to do that, certainly when we know someone, certainly when we're friends with someone, you know, it's just proper etiquette. So thank you for that, Richie. Uh, Ronin, Ronin, oh, I just skipped a whole bunch of people. Hold on, let me just go back. Again, I have no idea if I'm doing this right. I just, my biggest worry is that I skip someone who, who has super chatted me. Let me go back to Ronin. Here we go. Do scientists today rely too heavily on statistics? It looks like a hyper-empiricism has taken over direct understanding of natural phenomenon. Has there been a shift in science and or degradation of ontological standards and principles? Wow, what a fantastic question. Uh, look, uh, if you're testing some empirical, you know, falsifiable statement, i.e. a hypothesis, ultimately there has to be some inferential method, some inferential statistics by which you adjudicate whether you know, the data supports your hypothesis or refutes it. So the fact that you're using an inferential method like statistics, inferential statistics to, to, to test the hypothesis, I mean, that has to be the acceptable way. So that, so no, there's no problem with that. The problem arises when you are solely focused on the statistical significance of a phenomenon. So you know, if the p-value is less, p-value, by the way, is what, what is the likelihood that the results that you obtained was due to chance or to, you know, methodological artifact and so on? Well, the small, the lower the p, you know, the, the, the stronger the result. So p less than 0.01 means that it's only 1% chance, less than 1% that, you know, the results could have been due to, to bullshit. Uh, so people kind of keep their fingers crossed. I hope I get a, a low p. Uh or now, of course, you use you know an effect size. You know, but, but, but whatever standard you use, what ends up happening is that people are oftentimes too focused on uh, the statistical you know, significance of the result rather than what the general phenomenon, as you said, uh, the importance of that phenomenon. So example, I had a paper many years ago that I had submitted to a journal called Cognition and Emotion, a, a very prestigious journal, where I was talking about the, the effects of dysphoria on decision-making, okay? Uh, dysphoria is a transient state of blueness. It's not quite a clinical depression, but it's not just I'm pissed off and sad today because something bad happened to work. It's, it's more. It's, it's getting closer to clinical depression, but maybe not quite so. And so I wanted to know what happens to people's uh, decision-making abilities or how they search for information, how much information they search for as a function of whether they're dysphoric or not, okay? By the way, let's keep those super chats coming. Uh, think about what you pay for your university education. Think about what you're getting from this chat and then monetize that knowledge. Thank you all for your support. Uh, so to go back to the, to the study, so I did a study on the effects of dysphoria on sequential decision-making. I submitted it to the special issue of Cognition and Emotion, which was guest edited by a very famous and very accomplished psychologist. Now, here's the problem. I think there were something like 17 dependent measures that I had looked at, 16 or 17. All but one came out null, meaning there were no differences between the dysphorics and non-dysphorics. So that itself was a powerful finding. In other words, the fact that I found almost no statistical differences between the two groups, suggesting that in this case, dysphoria did not affect how people behaved in this particular decision-making task was worthy of publishing in a journal. 
you, you want to know the results here, but you have what's called the null effects bias or the file drawer problem, which is if you don't get statistical significance, you have a a priori bias against publishing it. Well, that's bullshit, right? Because a null effect is itself a finding. I mean, as long as it makes sense for why one might have expected no results, right? I mean, if you're saying, let me do a study on the relationship between eye color and intelligence, and you find that there are no differences, well, that might not be worthy of a of a of publishing because there is no theoretical reason why you would think that eye color should be correlated with intelligence. So in this case, the fact that you found a null effect is due to you being a moron, that you you, you posited the wrong relationship between two variables that should not be linked. But when when the theoretical framework under which you're operating is is powerful, is strong, is valid, and then you obtain null effects, that more often than not should be uh, reported in the scientific literature. So I think you're exactly right that oftentimes we uh, uh, you know, reject a study, not because the phenomenon that we studied wasn't interesting, but because, oops, we didn't get the statistical significance that we should have. We should not be doing that. Thank you for that question, Ronan, and thank you for your contribution. Uh, Gagan Goyal, just a contribution, and I don't exactly know what the currency is. Let's hope that it is more powerful than even dollars because that would make it a very generous contribution. Thank you so much, Mr. Goyal. Uh, uh, all right, let me go on. Uh, where am I going? Where am I going? I'm going, I'm looking for super chat people. Super chat people. Oh, Guy uh, Goyal is back. Hi, Dr. Saad. Hearing your weight loss journey made me realize what the F am I doing to my life? I'm 22 years uh, old guy, 100 kilogram, want to change my life. I've tried losing weight before, just think, uh, just things didn't work. Any advice? Well, uh, yes, I have advice. Actually, uh, probably the most viral segment on my most recent uh Joe Rogan episode was the part early in our chat where I give all of the tips uh, to how I lost weight. I, I can try to remember them here. I think I had five or six points. Uh, number one, I walk between fifteen to 20,000 steps a day. As a matter of fact, let me see where we're at right now. Here, here we go. You ready? You ready? Look what you get by coming and doing this uh, live stream. Look at that. Can you, Is there any information here that you should not be seeing? Uh, like me surfing uh, Turkish porn sites. No, I'm kidding. Uh, hold on. Here we go. Look at that. 9221. So we are 2.30, 2.13 p.m. And I'm at uh, almost 10,000 steps. I will definitely by 6, 7 o'clock today get to 15, 16, 17,000. So every single day I get to 15 to 20,000 steps in terms of food. I eat between 1,500 calories on a on a light day up to 17, 1,800 on a heavier day. So the last three, four days, I haven't been able to crack the 1,700 mark. I've been a bit hungrier. Uh, so I now the way I do that is by having my wife uh, track every single calorie that goes in my mouth. I mean, literally every calorie using myfitnesspal.com. So she could tell me at the end of the day, you're at 1,683 calories, uh, you know, all you can have is raspberry. So by knowing exactly where I'm at, it's hard to over, you know, to, to cross the barrier that I'm allowed. Uh, I weigh myself once a week. You know, I, I went through years not weighing myself, right? Uh, 
so the guy who wrote the book on ostrich parasitic syndrome suddenly became the biggest ostrich when it came to my weight. I didn't want to know what my weight is. And so, boom, I get on the scale three years later. Oh, my God, I'm 28 pounds heavier than the last time I weighed myself. Uh, by weighing myself every week, then the autocorrective mechanism is immediate, right? If I went to Hungary, as I did last month, and ate too many pastries, and I come back to Montreal, and I'm two and a half pounds overweight, guess what? The next week, I'm really tightening it up, and bam, I'm back to the same weight I was before I left Hungary. So having that... Uh, Having a, I think I've covered all the points, or maybe I'm missing, oh, uh, two more. Now, uh, in terms of what I eat in the 15 to 1700 calories, it's largely protein and, you know, vegetables. So there's no carbohydrates, you know, no sugary stuff and so on. So I, I still have coffee with some sugar, but, you know, I, I was never really a sweet tooth kind of guy. So that's not been a big problem. I, you know, I don't drink much alcohol and so on. So basically today at lunch, I had, uh, you know, two thighs of chicken and uh, some coleslaw. And that's it. Uh, that was my lunch. Uh, for breakfast, I had three fried eggs. And for dinner, I'll have, you know, a cod and chickpea salad. And I'll have a few snacks like raspberries or, uh, you know, uh, cucumbers or, you know, slices of tomato. And that's my day. Uh, so if you do that, and then the last thing is I change my mindset from a all or nothing mindset to an incremental, nuanced, gray area mindset. So if you think about all or nothing and you look, my God, I've got to lose, you know, 70, 80 pounds and you get on the scale and you don't see that you magically in two weeks drop 15 pounds, you get discouraged. But if you realize, okay, let me, let me reframe this. On any given day, I could put on weight. I could stay the same weight. I can drop weight. Every single day. Well, if every single day I'm on the downward trajectory and if enough day pass, I will be at the right weight. It might take a, a year. It might take six months. It might take, take 18 months. But as long as every day I'm going in the right direction, I'm winning. And once I did that, it removed kind of the intemperance, the, the impatience in me, you know, all or nothing. I got to be super svelte by tomorrow. Otherwise, who cares? F it. Well, you know, Oh, look, I'm 225. Oh, look, it's the first time I'm under 200. Oh, my God, I'm under 190. I haven't been that since 1997. Oh, my God, I'm below 180. And now the next magical one, which I haven't been able to reach, is under 170. I've reached 170.4, but I never, I've never seen a 1.6. So just do it, just bit by bit. You're 100 calories now. Just say that, you know, by next month, by, by June 17th, you need to be less than 100 calories, uh, kilograms, whatever it is, 98. Well, two, two kilograms is very good. Just do it. Simple as that, buddy. Thank you, Mr. Goal. Sid Dave, what do you think about Arabs hiding their history of slavery? Somalia played a major role in East Africa. Nobody asks for reparation. Yeah, no kidding. It, uh, all the imbeciles of the world, the ones who, who hate the West, who hate themselves for being Westerners, think you know slavery is something that only came with you know evil white men did it uh, in the united states whereas history is defined by the default value of holding slaves you know there are these people called the jews who were slaves during the uh, the times of the pharaohs right that's passover we escaped slavery so you show me a peoples and i'll show you someone who's been a slave or has enslaved so there is nothing uh, uh, unique or monopolistic about 
you know, one group of people having held slaves, all people have, and certainly Africans played a major role. Arabs, Muslims played a major role in the uh, slave trade, the African slave trade. Why don't people talk more about it? Either they're ignorant or because they're ideological. They only want it to be that mean, nasty white man is the purveyor of all evil in the world. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nobody has a monopoly on evil or kindness. So it's all bullshit. Thank you for that question, Mr. Dave. Dave Hargrave. Oh, thank you so much for your wonderful super chat contribution. Very appreciated. Uh, thanks. What does your publisher and you say about coverage of your books, ideas in mainstream media like well, in mainstream media like CBC and Globe and Mail? Well, it turns out that the CBC and the Globe and Mail are basically apparently the same people as my university. La 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 la. Gatsad doesn't exist. Please ignore the Gatsad. And hopefully he'll go away. Uh, you know, they say that, uh, you know, prophets are not well known in their homeland or wh whatever the expression is. Uh, yes, tons of people know me in Canada. Uh, you know, if I walk down the street, I'm always stopped by tons of lovely people. But the the, the purveyors of good thoughts, of les bien pensants, as we say in French, uh, which include the intelligentsia and the media, have largely ignored me. It, unless they were on the right side of the political aisle. But but uh, the folks from Globe and Mail and CBC have largely ignored yours truly, unfortunately. Thank you for your donation and for your lovely uh, uh, or your wonderful question, uh, Mr. Hargrave. Let's go on to Harsha Vardhan C. Only a contribution. Thank you so much. No question uh, or comment. Very much appreciated. Thank you so much. Let me sc keep scrolling down. All right, people. What do you think about hypergamy? I'm I'm only gonna answer the people who super chat me. That's only fair. If I have time at the end and there are no more super chat questions, I'll be happy to do so. Uh, all right, 240 people. How could that be? That's what. So my first two chats, impromptu, zero promotion. I just turned on, said I'm live. I had as many people here. I've been promoting since yesterday. Maybe it's because it's the middle of the day. Maybe somebody could tell us if it's better to have these super chats at night when people are home, who knows? Uh, cars in depth, thank you for your contribution. Please speak on the irony of YouTube algorithm showing your viewers Islamic fundraising ads, your Hebrew Arabic name must confuse the algorithm. I know, it's unbelievable. I, I don't know what the number is, but I would say 95% of my ad revenue is uh, Allahu Akbar. Ana uh, ismi Muhammad Ahmad Muhammad Hussein Ahmad. Please, brothers and sisters, give money to the... Every single ad is that. Uh, but hey, if I can take the money, let's be pragmatic here. Uh, so yes, it is ironic, but you know, whatever. Said Dave, oh, thank you for coming back. Uh, do you think U.S. will become a one-party leftist dictatorship because of demographic changes? How do Democrats plan to teach equality of women, LGBTQ to their Afghan Arab and Somali Muslim voters? But what do you mean? Islam is a feminist religion. Islam loves Jews. Islam loves the LGBT community as per the group called Queers for Palestine. Because if I'm a member of the LGBTQ community, I shouldn't be supporting Tel Aviv, which is a Mecca, forgive the pun, of the LGBT community. I should support Gaza, where I get thrown off buildings for being a member of the LGBTQ community. So uh, there's a great book, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. He escapes me right now. It's, uh, I think the book's titled United in Hate. Uh, 
and, and united basically the leftist with the Islamists united in their common hatred of the West, not realizing that if they bring down the West and then they fight each other, it won't be a pretty fight. So there you go. Uh, do I think it will be a one-party leftist dictatorship? I mean, if they can uh, rig the demographic realities, then yes, right? I mean, think about all of the states that used to be red and now have become permanently blue or the ones that are now on their way to becoming purple heading towards blue. Not a good thing. Uh, Dr. Saad, do you think that dating is becoming harder nowadays? You want me to answer that? I got to see the super chat. Tit for tat. Reciprocity is an evolved Darwinian mechanism not parasitic we contribute we get answers we get access to dr sad's infinite wisdom uh all right here we go when i speak like that i'm joking i'm not being narcissistic i'm i'm doing the persona of the kind of larger than life i know that most people get that but then there'll be someone who comes on and says dr Saad, don't you think that you think too highly of yourself i'm the first one to uh, engage in self-deprecation for example when i say I used to weigh like a walrus. So it's all part of my humor. Don't take it too seriously. Okay, hold on a second. Uh, I just missed a whole bunch. See, had I not gone back, I would have missed tons of people. Let me go back. I hate this thing. Somebody has to teach me how to better manage this goddamn super chat thing. Let me go back to the last one that I saw so I could start from there. Be with me. Okay, yeah, that was Sid David. Let me go down. Bear with me, folks. Thoughts on Ukraine. I've kind of touched that last time. Uh, oh, nice. Somebody writes, Jew. What a lovely thing. Thank you, Dr. Hemmler, for your contribution. Howard Schoonover, just a smiley face and a donation. You're lovely. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Uh, David the Goliath. French Muslims voted en masse for Macron, who they accused of being a racist Islamophobe. Muslims only pretend to be a liberal when they are in a minority and are right-wing extremely when the majority. Well, there is certainly... Uh, why are you not on Locals yet? I will be on Locals. And I hope you will all join me en masse there because that's one of the ways by which I'll be able to dedicate a lot more of my time to creating content. I've got all kinds of incredible ideas of things that I want to do. It's hard to do it when I have you know seven full-time professions, including being a you know, full professor with an active lab, uh, you know, a tenured professor that's expected to do tons of research and so on. So I will be joining locals and I expect all of you to hopefully subscribe there for, you know, what will probably amount to one or two coffees a month. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, Muhammad himself said, you know, when in the minority preach, you know, message of peace and when in the majority show no mercy, that's exactly what happened in, in his speech patterns, in his proselytizing between when he was in Mecca and Medina. Earlier on in his proselytizing career, it was a message of peace. Later, when he got a lot more adherence to his faith, then he became a lot less tolerant. And that's why you have in the Quran what's called abrogation. When you have two types of messages that contradict each other, the later message abrogates the earlier message. And therefore, God is not being... Uh, contradictory, but rather he's simply revising his contract or his edicts. So your your logic is right there, David the Goliath. Alpha Dog Elite 3, do you have any thoughts on why Putin invaded Ukraine? You know, I, I briefly talked about this uh, on my recent chat with Michael Malice. Some of you may know him. 
lovely guy. We had a chance to meet in uh, uh, Austin. He moved to Austin recently. Uh, I, I haven't yet posted that chat. I'll probably be posting it in the next few weeks. I asked him the question only because he is originally born in Ukraine. And so I thought it would be apropos to ask him. And we both came to the agreement that, look, uh, you know, I think Putin miscalculated. He thought he would go in in 48 hours, little waltz, and then he'll say, hey, F you, what are you going to do about it? Just like he did with Crimea, right? And of course, excuse me, to his surprise, uh, the Ukrainian said, yeah, well, I don't think so. They're putting up a staunch uh, uh, resistance. And so I think he went in thinking that there'd be very little consequences or fight against his uh, you know, machinations, and he miscalculated. It's as simple as that. All right. Uh, Nick van der Klook, thank you so much for your contribution. When is your new book coming out? And could you tell a little bit about it? I believe it was called A Recipe for the Good Life. Yes, exactly. Really looking forward to it. Thank you so much for asking about uh, the upcoming book, which I earlier mentioned that I'm just now in the second full reading. So I finished the first draft, and I read it once. You know, there's all kinds of segues that you have to incorporate, you know, concluding sentence before you get to the next section. Like clean it up, right? So the content is there. I'm now on the second full reading. I'm hoping to, you know, be ready to press the send button to my publisher. I'd, I'd like to say in the next month. So usually what happens is that they receive the first draft, then they'll read it. Uh, it might take a month or two for them to read it, hopefully you know, sooner rather than later. And then they send me their feedback. So for example, for the parasitic mind, the main feedback was just shorten it. The first draft that I gave was in the order of uh, maybe 91,000 words or 93,000 words. And they wanted 70,000. And so it's very, very, very hard to take, you know, a large chunk of your book and just cut it out. Now, I, I put it in another document so that hopefully I can repurpose the stuff that I cut out for some other thing. But the bottom line is you're cutting it out. You spend tons of time, you know, toiling over every single syllable of those cut out passages, but you have to have the humility to listen to the feedback. And my editor had his main feedback for the book was like, this is going to be a huge smash. I know it. Uh, but you, you got to make it, you got to cut it. You, you you need to make people want to start reading it. And it's so compelling that they'll read it in one, in one seating. And that's exactly what many people wrote to me and said. So very much true to his feedback. Uh, it was one of those page turners. And the stuff that I cut out was, you know, a lot of more technical stuff, what he called, it feels like homework when I'm reading this. And so I listened to him and I implemented his feedback, uh, as judiciously as I could. And, uh, you know, his feedback was spot on. And so once I send this latest book, they'll, you know, go through the revision, you know, the, the requests for, you know, this, do this, add that. And then I do those things, send it back to them. Once it's ready to go into production, it probably takes another nine to 12 months from there. So in the best case scenario, I see it coming out next summer, maybe. What is it about? Uh, it's basically looking at some decisions we can make and some mindsets that we can have to maximize the probability of living the good life, right? So the reason why I call it a recipe for the good life, assuming that the title stays rather than the recipe, is that I'm being humble about 
uh, you know, what I'm doing here. I'm not saying that, you know, please follow these five prescriptions and I guarantee you, you'll have a perfect life. Rather, I'm saying that each of these things that I'm telling you, more likely than not, if you do them, it'll improve your, your life, right? Seek variety when it comes to certain things, intellectual variety, food variety, experiential variety, uh, minimize regret, uh, you know, be anti-fragile to, to failure, be persistent and have grit when pursuing, you know, important goals and, and on. So I've got different chapters covering each of these. I'm very excited about it. It's, it's a lot more of a positive book. I mean, the parasitic mind is about the things that can happen when a brain is parasitized by by bullshit, by, by parasitic ideas. This is, if you'd like, the opposite. What happens to a mind that is equipped with, you know, healthy, positive mindset. So I think it's it's going to resonate with people. Uh, but, you know, who knows, right? Uh, we'll see. It, right now, it feels a bit to me that there are some sections that are that don't have enough of my anecdotes in them, right? I, I think the, what makes a, a book of this genre compelling, as was the case with Parasitic Mind, right? I, I start off with telling you about my Lebanese story, and then I get into some you know, heavy-duty academic stuff. And it's the juxtaposition, the, the interweaving of these different types of uh, writing styles is, I think, what makes the book compelling. And so, you know, I still have to do a bit of work on that for my current book to hopefully hit the right kind of balance as I did in The Parasitic Mind. If I'm able to do that, I hope that it'll be successful. And of course, then I look forward to the Quebec and Canadian government taking 58% of my wisdom, my words, my thoughts, my neuronal firings, my syllables, my stories. That's one of the reasons why I so need your support because contrary to what people think, they think, you know, I'm, I wake up every day and I just swim in money. If you see what I'm left with, uh, you might be setting up a GoFundMe page because it is absolutely the greatest existential crime, what they've done to me. But anyways... So thank you for that question. I hope that you will check out my book when it comes out. Matthew Phillips, thank you so much for your uh, donation. This super chat has brought me more value than the time and money I spent at a public university whose professors taught me land acknowledgement <laughs> and becoming a better white person rather than what I initially signed up for. What? You know, thank you so much. You don't know how much that makes me feel good because, you know, the point is not just to have these chats so that I can make, you know, 200 bucks from chatting with you. Yes, it's nice to make the money because people then respect the service, the wisdom that you're offering and so on. But it's that people say, hey, I, I love doing this with you. I, I love connecting with you. I love hearing your stories. I love hearing your wisdom. Uh, if anything, that's as important, if not more important, a lot more important than the money. So thank you so much, Mr. Phillips. Uh, I'm glad that I've introduced some positivity in your life. And uh, stay tuned for more fun live streams. All right, here we go. Kyle Irwin. Uh, I'm not sure what that uh, currency is. I don't know if it's South Africa. I don't know. Who are were your intellectual heroes growing up? Who was your god sad? Thank you. Uh, what a great question. Uh, look, uh, it, it depends at what age you mean, right? I mean, I've always been someone who's been intellectually engaged. So, you know, I could answer you that question when I'm 14 and I can answer you that question when I'm 24 and 34 and there'll be, you know, slightly different uh, answers. Uh, of course, Charles Darwin, that's that's a given. Uh, you know, even when I was studying mathematics and computer science and I wasn't yet in evolutionary psychology and so on, uh, 
you know, I was familiar with theory of evolution. I was familiar with how he, uh, you know, developed his theory, how he collected the, the, the data in support of his theory. I mean, he was exactly doing a nomological network of cumulative evidence. He didn't call it that, but that's the process that he was doing. He's getting data from geology and paleontology and uh, comparative morphology and animal husbandry and ecology uh, you know, and zoology uh, and ornithology, all these different fields, which would allow him to then construct a unassailable theory of you know, the origins of biodiversity. Well, so he would have to be one. Uh, I love, I mean, this is a more recent, uh, I, you know, I probably really got into him maybe 10, 12, 15 years ago, but I love Thomas Sowell because as I entered, uh, you know, a couple of decades ago, the battle, uh, you know, in the public arena, the, the culture wars, well, you know, he's the OG, right? He He's the guy, Thomas Sowell is the guy who was smacking around these idiots, you know, when I was in diapers, when any, everybody in this super chat live stream was in diapers and so i i highly respect his irreverence his commitment to data and reason right he you know you can go and check on youtube chats that he was having on you know television with some you know rabid feminist where he's basically silencing that person with just you know irrefutable data so he would certainly be one uh i loved christopher hitchens not so much for his intellectualism i mean although he certainly was a, a very you know highly accomplished intellectual but I love him for his honey badger attitude. I love, now sometimes he was a bit too rough, uh, but, you know, I would see him, uh, you know, taking on people and he didn't suffer fools gladly. Uh, so I love him. Uh, I've mentioned in the past, Stephen Biko. Stephen Biko is a guy who was a anti-apartheid activist. Uh, if you saw the movie Cry Freedom, 1987, uh, Stephen Biko wrote a book called I Write What I Like, and that always struck with me, right? Because I'm irreverent to, you know, you have to say this and do that. And so when I saw his, I read his book, I was a, a young man, maybe in my early 20s, and I saw I Write What I Like, a guy who is standing up against apartheid in an era when apartheid was still in full force. He got tortured and killed for it. So he would be a hero. So not all of my intellectual heroes were heroes for, you know, the content of what they said, but rather for the way that they defended their principles. Thank you for that question. Uh, let's move it on. Uh, God has teenage groupies. Okay. I, I don't know. Is that true? Okay. Hey, anybody who supports, you know, logic, science, common sense, I'm all for it, irrespective of their age. It could be five. They could be 555. Uh, I'm going back so I can see all the people. Thanks for your response, sir. This is from Alpha Dog, of course. My pleasure. Love you, Gad. Thank you. Let me just go on. I'm trying to go back to the start, like to the last person, so that I don't miss any of the super chat people. Okay, here we go. Going down. Bear with me. Itai Shlomi. What are some of the best studies you know that show that sex differences are biologically based rather than, oh, they are, that rather than socially constructed? Whew, there are tons of such studies. There are many meta-analyses, many review papers that do that. There's a great book uh, by Lee Ellis et al. I was actually supposed to be one of the 
co-authors on this mammoth source book. It's a big book that uh, is a compendium to thousands and thousands of sex differences, many of which, of course, are biologically based rather than socially constructed. So you can check that out. I can't remember the, the name of the book, but it's Lee Ellis et al. It's a source book on sex differences. There are many, many different ones. Uh, it, it's hard to just talk about sex differences being biologically based. Uh, rather, for example, there's uh, sex differences in human mating preferences, sex differences in memory location, sex differences in athletic prowess, uh, you know, sex differences in memory, you know, whatever, in... Uh, in uh, information processing. So, you know, there are many meta-analyses and many uh, review papers that look at the biological basis of sex differences in different domains, uh, in envy, in, uh, in, uh, or, or in romantic jealousy. I mean, you name the phenomenon and it's been studied from a, a sex difference perspective. So it's hard for me to give you one review paper, but there are many, many relevant ones. Uh, thank you for that uh, question, Itai. Which means thank you very much. Uh, Rich G, do a nighttime bong rip and more and more super chats will follow. But on a serious note, if you get on locals, when are you? Okay. I don't, a bong, I'm guessing that means uh, 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 some kind of drug. Uh, if so, you're going to have to be waiting a while for that because I'm not really much of a drug guy. Uh, when am I getting on locals? Hopefully soon. Uh, I've already held a couple of chats with the Locals rumble people uh, trying to set up some structure for, uh, you know, how to make sure that the government doesn't take, you know, all of my money again. But it should be soon. And I hope that you will all subscribe to Locals when I do do it. Uh, when are you moving to Florida? I, I don't know when. I, probably the two top destinations right now are Florida or Texas. I don't know when it will happen. Maybe tomorrow, maybe in 10 years. There are all kinds of moving parts. We have young children. Our families are in Montreal. I'm a tenured professor in Montreal. So so it's not as easy as just packing and going. If it were just me, if it were just me and my wife, it would be a lot easier. But there are many moving parts, but it's certainly in there. Smash the state. Thank you so much for your contribution. Love you, Gad. Gad, by the way, is G-A-D. Sad is S-A-A-D. You wrote it, but it's okay. I will forgive the super chatter for that violent misspelling of my name. Alpha Dog Elite, thank you so much for your contribution. Uh, he says, thanks for your response, sir. My pleasure. Uh, Martinez Zigaras, thank you for your contribution. How do I find meaning in what I'm doing? I'm currently in a nine-to-five corporate, been sold the dream at uni, now been working for over four years, and it's eating my soul. Well, I hate to uh, engage in self-promotion for my next book. Uh, one of the chapters, one of the early chapters of my next book is looking at the two most important decisions, in my view, that will either impart you great happiness or great misery. Number one, choosing the right spouse to share your life with. Number two, choosing the right profession slash job. Why do I choose those two decisions? Because they're the ones where most of us are spending most of our waking time and even our sleeping time. We're, sleep, we're spending it with our spouse and we're spending it when we're awake. Hopefully you're not sleeping on the job when you're awake at your job. If either or both of those impart great joy and meaning to you, you're on your way to climbing Mount Happiness. If they don't, you're screwed. So at the risk of sounding cliche-ish, I mean, I won't go through all the stuff that I discuss in the book as relating to finding the right job, 
you you truly have to find something. I understand people have to be pragmatic. I understand sometimes they can't pursue their passion because they have to pay the mortgage. I get that. But over the long run, it's very hard to be happy and fulfilled and have purpose and meaning if you're not doing something that truly brings you passion, right? I promise you, I didn't look at the super chat that we're doing right now as a, oh, geez, now I have to do this. Hopefully I can get some money. I was excited. I'm going to go and meet some fans who hopefully are excited to be you know, chatting with me and we're going to have fun. There's all kinds of questions that are going to be asked. Hopefully I'm going to offer them some helpful answers and everybody's going to walk away feeling a bit more enriched by the interaction. Well, that gives me purpose and meaning. And then later I'm going to go back and work on my book, which I'm excited to have come out because I want you guys to all read it and hopefully enjoy it when you take it on vacation with you and you send me a photo of you sitting at some beach and you're reading my book. That brings me purpose and meaning, right? So, you know, I get it. We can't all find that passion. You know, maybe you wanted to be a dancer, but you were never talented enough to be a dancer. So now you're working some nine to five, you know, job as a pleb. The problem is that if you maintain that kind of mindset, you'll wake up when you're, you know, 50 and 60 and say, my God, I truly regret that I lived an inauthentic life, inauthentic in that sense that you did not, you weren't true to your passions, to your desires, to what you wanted to contribute to the world. And so I discuss all this in my next book. The the more I talk about it now, the more I say, my God, I think it's exciting. I think my next book will hopefully be appreciated by people. So, you know, at some point you have to, uh, you know, jump into the unknown. uh, And so that's the only way to forestall having a midlife crisis in 20, 30 years. So thank you, Martinez Zigaras, for your question and your contribution. We're going to George Kamajian. I think he was, uh, you were, uh, I think, a super chatter the last time around. If so, thank you for returning and for your generosity. You should write a children's book on a few subjects and wedge your way in early with these kids. They will need the help the the way things are going regarding hysteria, group consensus, predation, etc. Yes, look, uh, that's why the blue-haired Taliban people try to uh, infuse all their garbage as early as possible. That's why they say, "Hey, we, you know, are you are you homophobic or transphobic? Why shouldn't you be speaking to a three-day-old child about you know, uh, you know, your gender dysphoria or whatever?" Because we all know, certainly, developmental psychologists know that the best way to uh, uh, brainwash someone is to get to them when they don't have the cognitive apparatus to defend themselves against your persuasion strategies, right? And so if I can get to you when when you're early, I've got one more customer to my ideology. So I understand the need to spread truth and reason and science and common sense and rationality uh, to, to people who are as young as possible. So maybe, you know, I'll speak to my publisher, maybe there is something to be done here in creating, you know, a children's version of, uh, you know, the parasitic mind and the the vaccine that I discuss in the parasitic mind. So thank you for that uh, nudge. I will certainly keep it in mind uh, when I have my next conversation with my publisher. All right, Roni S, thank you so much for your contribution. How do I tell my girlfriend to lose weight? I love her, but I fear she may think I'm fat shaming her. What's the best way to motivate someone? Uh, Look, my view is that people who care about each other should be able to be honest with each other if they share constructive feedback that is truly meant to elevate the person, right? You're not saying, hey, fat pig, 
How about you skip dessert? That's not probably the way to tell someone to lose weight. But if you say, look, uh, I feel that, uh, you know, it would be best for all of us to be at our maximal weight. I feel as though maybe you're putting on a bit of weight. Uh, I love you no matter what. I think you're you're still beautiful. Uh, you you know, you'll always be beautiful in my eyes. But, you know, if you were to lose a few pounds, maybe uh, you'll be able to have less, uh, you know, knee pain or whatever. So there's a way to construct your feedback in such a way that the person who's receiving it is elevated from you having been honest. Now, if that person slaps you and says, you're a pig, you should have never told me that I'm overweight and we're breaking up, then that person is probably not the right person for you, right? As I explained in the parasitic mind, friendships or relationships have to be anti-fragile. We need to be able to face stressors where we disagree on something, where we share some difficult truths with each other without it affecting uh, the status of our relationship. If I could only tell you that you're beautiful all day long and never tell you something that you might disagree with or that might uh, jolt you a bit, well then, you know, don't let the door hit your ass on the way out. There you go. My God, this advice should not be imparted for free. Let's keep those donations coming. I'm not sure if I'll be able to go. God supports this man. Robinson was always, okay, I don't know what the hell this guy's talking about. Uh, he's not a super chatter, so... I'll just ignore whatever he's saying. Uh, let's keep the the chat, the super chat donations going. Let's keep the great questions coming. Uh, I may not be able to go a full two hours today because uh, children need to be picked up. Uh, but let's at least certainly go for another while. Bree, thank you so much for your uh, 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 for your contribution. You can open a word processor and copy the super chats as they come up and paste them into a document. If you don't. If you don't, may lose some, they drop off after five minutes to two hours. Thanks for what you do. Okay, I'm not sure I completely follow how that is. Bree, if you're listening, maybe you could send me an email uh, explaining this because I'm not sure I have an idea what you're talking about. So, but thank you for that. That helps. I need to be able to, to just see, here are the 60 people who are who have super chatted me so I can kind of systematically go through it rather than kind of doing this weird uh, scrolling. Good afternoon, Dr. Saad. Uh, this is Bartolome Esteban Murillo. Oh, yes, I know this gentleman, I'm guessing. I don't know if it's a gentleman. Good afternoon, Dr. Saad. What are your thoughts on the Stanford experiment? Half of my donations for you and Trudeau when he comes to shake you down. It's actually more than half for Trudeau and Legault. So what I'm doing here, just imagine for a second. On a given Wednesday, I have a thousand things to do. I say, you know what? I just I want to do a super chat. I want to talk to the fans. I want to see what's up. Whatever money I make, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, somebody's sitting back. Here is here's Trudeau. Imagine this as a pencil. That Jew, God, what a great kid. He writes a beautiful book hmm. when he was about to be executed in Lebanon. It's so fantastic that I get 58% of his money. Oh, but you know, hey, you know, Dr. Saad, stop being a whiner. Why don't you pay your fair share of taxes, you fucking pig? Because, you know, paying more than 100 Canadians put together in taxes isn't my fair share. Having enough money so that I can retire two years early and I can buy maybe a condo in Florida, but then I press a button and it magically goes away. I shouldn't whine about that because, you know, why am I such a selfish pig? I mean, sure, I wrote the book based on my theories, based on my 30 years as a professor, based on me being almost executed in Lebanon. But why can't you share that money with everybody else, asshole? So thank you for that little rub, 
Mr. Murillo. What are my thoughts about the Stanford ex experiment? Uh, this is the Milgram uh, obedience experiment or conformity experiment. Yeah, it's the Milgram experiment. Uh, is it, no, not the Milgram. It's the Zimbardo experiment. Uh, it's the one where you either, if I'm assuming that's the one you're talking about, because there have been many experiments at Stanford. By the way, I've just been invited to go speak again at Stanford. I spoke there in 2017. I spoke again at the Classical Liberalism Forum, but it was remotely. And I'm invited again to speak at a conference in November. Uh, Jordan Peterson will be there. I think Peter Thiel will be there. Uh, so, you know, to my three or four followers, it looks like I haven't sunk into obscurity. It seems as though most of the most prestigious universities are inviting me to see them. And it seems as though tons of publishers are asking me to write books for them. And it seems as though my platform is increasing exponentially. But yeah, I'm falling into obscurity. My time is limited. You know, the old guy is on his way out. What a bunch of morons. Uh, the Stanford experiment, I mean, uh, what it... What I think of it, I mean, it, it certainly showed something very powerful, if not dark, about the human spirit, which is when you put people into certain roles and you ask them to conform to those roles, they can go wild. And so all of those experiments, whether it be Zimbardo's experiment or Milgram's experiment or Solomon Ash's experiment, what makes those experiments so powerful is that using a very simple and elegant experimental design, they're able to, so to show something incredibly profound, if not dark, about the human spirit. So there you go. Uh, I believe, by the way, that uh, Zimbardo and I are connected on uh, LinkedIn. Maybe, I mean, he's now quite elderly, but you know, maybe I'll invite him to on my show. Kaylin Vieira. Oh, I think you're from Montreal. I think I remember your name. Uh, Godfather, next week, it's supposed to be very hot in Montreal, so be sure to wear dancing hyena lotion <laughs> to protect you from harmful hyena rays. Cheers. Yes, I, I will be. Even someone with this gorgeous skin tone uh, needs to be sometimes protected from the dangerous uh, rays of the dancing hyena. And so, yes, thank you. I will be uh, protecting myself from any burn caused by dancing hyena. Cheers. Thank you so much for your contribution, Kaylin. Uh, oh, I think I might have skipped some. Let me go back. I got to get to Kaylin. Hold on. Wait a second. Stay with me, guys. Let's keep those donations coming. This is so much fun. Again, more than the donations, just seeing all the kind of stuff that's coming at me. It's like a stream of conscious thing. It's uh, it's really, it's beautiful. Fiontan O'Catale. I'm guessing that's some kind of Gaelic Irish name. I'm sure I totally destroyed your name. My infinite apologies. Please forgive me. What are your thoughts on songs by female performers in which they sing about their social status and masculine related traits? I mean, things like driving expensive cars, having lots of money, etc. Well, there aren't too many of those. Uh, I'm not sure which ones you're thinking about, but uh, you know, and if if they're doing that, that's exactly because of social conditioning, where they've been taught that hey, men and women are indistinguishable. You should you should be no different. So why don't you grab your crotch the way some vulgar male uh, rapper does and sing about you know guns, yo yo yo, my Aston Martin, uh, bullshit. Uh, that's just social conditioning that is superseding evolutionary mechanisms. I did an analysis. I discussed this in two of my books, both in this book and in this book. I discuss cultural products as fossils of the human mind. One such cultural product are song lyrics. Uh, and I've done a content analysis of song lyrics. And the things that women sing about around the world and the things that men sing around about the world are about as clear from an evolutionary perspective. And so 
if a woman is singing about guns and fancy cars, it's bullshit. Uh, women usually sing about the high status of men or about men who don't have high status, therefore they're not going to get any loving from them. It's a straight evolutionary psychology 101 lesson. You want to understand human nature, do a content analysis of song lyrics. What I just said in the last five minutes is probably worth more than your tuition for the four years undergrad that you did. So let's get those tuitions going to the super chat people. Thank you so much, Fiontan. I hope I'm pronouncing that right for your question. Uh, Prash S, thank you so much for your question. for your contribution. I came to the U.S. on a student visa and, and grew up thinking of white people as racist. In my school, a white colleague and professor helped me get a job with Amazon. I realized how wrong I was. Well, I'm glad. Listen, one of the beautiful things in life is if you're uh, epistem- uh, epistemologically humble, if you're intellectually honest, uh, if new evidence comes in that changes your beliefs, you change your beliefs, right? That's that's what being an honest person is. It's not just, you know, don't steal and don't, uh, don't uh, shoplift. It's also being epistemologically honest, right? If I hold position A and then I find out that that's a wrong position, then I erase it from the blackboard and I now hold a new position, right? Uh, And so I think it's wonderful that you came to the US, you had your beliefs challenged and you altered your beliefs, more power to you. May you flourish at Amazon and uh, that's it. Best of luck. Thank you so much for your contribution. Uh, Esau Silva if you really want to get depressed about taxes, look at how much we pay over here in Brazil and what happens to that money. Well, I'm going to guess it's not any worse than what I face. Uh, I'm already taxed well over 50% on my income, well over 50, depending on which amount of my income it gets taxed at a different rate. But at the end, it's almost 57, 58% in the totality. The remaining money that I have is taxed via sales tax. So whatever money they've allowed me to keep, right? So I write the book, they keep the money. Whatever money I keep, if I spend any money, they tax me at 15%. 15. Then I pay property tax. Then I pay school tax. So at the end of it, I'm pro- I'm left with well less than one third of my money. Just think about it for a second. If I make $100, $67 goes to the government and I keep 33. So when I receive the total amount that I made this year, I go, oh my God, this has been amazing. I made it. I'm successful. I'm reasonably wealthy. I can probably put a down payment for a condo. Oh, actually, no. All this money is going to the government, and I have $5,000 in savings left. That's quite amazing. See, because I'm, I'm at the type of income bracket where this money really makes a difference to my life. I'm not Elon Musk. I'm not making... $10 billion, where if, even if you take $6 billion, so what? I still have $4 billion. In my case, whatever money I made, if you take most of that from my savings, it completely alters my life's trajectory. It completely alters my ability to retire and do other things and so on. So this is why people supporting me is actually truly important. I'm not trying to whine. I'm not trying to play victim. I'm thankful for everything that I have, but I'm not thankful for being allowed to keep 40% of my money or 30% of my money. Uh, but I'm sorry to hear that it's no different in Brazil. Uh, Sawan Krishnan request you to break down Marxist socialism communism from an evolutionary perspective, sir. Lots of love from India. Uh, well, I, actually, socialism and communism is antithetical to the evolutionary imperatives that define the human condition. 
to repeat a quote that I've mentioned many times before. Uh, this is a quote from E.O. Wilson, the evolutionary biologist, who when asked about socialism slash communism, he said, great idea, wrong species. What does that mean? It's great if you're a social ant, because all social ants are equal. They're all worker ants, except one who's the reproductive queen. So communism, which pretends to be non-hierarchical, we should all be equal, is a great idea for a species that is built on egalitarianism. The human uh, spirit is not built on that. Right? But that's the problem with the progressive income taxation. What it's saying is, hey, Gat Saad wrote a book. It was hugely successful. It's based on his entire career as a professor. He's made a lot of money from the royalties. It sucks. It's shit that he makes more money than some other guy who only makes $27,000. Let me, the, bene uh, the benevolent government, take all the money of Gat Saad, give it to this other guy, and then we create parity. We create equity. Well, that's bullshit. That's the definition of immorality and unethical uh, precepts, right? Because it, th there is no moral foundation that suggests that you and I should be equal in our outcomes, right? Because then what's, what's, the, what's the value in me working hard? Every single day when I got up, when I didn't feel like writing, and I said, I'm, I have to go and finish this book so that I can submit it on time, what I could have been going on vacation, doing other things. I didn't do that. I made the decision to work on that book. What's my reward? Well, the government says, fuck you. There is no reward. Your reward is you are going to be a good person and share that money in a way that we deem best. So socialism and communism are antithetical to human nature. They're a killing of human nature. They're a cancer to the human spirit. And I'm actually thinking of writing a short book on the evils of uh, the taxation system and certainly progressive taxation system. It, it, is, it is the greatest organized crime in human history in terms of a legal crime. All right, thank you very much for your contribution, uh, Mr. Krishnan. Let's move on, let's keep it going. Diraj Ray, thank you for your contribution. Hi, Dr. Gad, Gad with one A, but I will forgive it because you're a super chatter. How to instill self-belief, especially at a time looking for a job as a senior in college has been stressful. Thank you. Look, that's a tough question because I'd have to hear a lot more. It, it, you know, it's not easy to, to be self-confident, but here's the reality. You know, we all have faults. We all have strengths. Uh, be honest about the good things that you have, the things that you could improve and Go out there into the world, be real, be authentic. Uh, I, I know, I mean, there's, there's no magic recipe, right? Some of us are just endowed with greater self-confidence. By the way, one of the reasons, I mean, this is kind of relevant to your question, Mr. Rye. Uh, on my recent show on uh, Joe Rogan, I talked about uh, a panic attack I had last year, right? Now, I could easily construct an image of myself as, you know, hey, honey badgers. What do you mean? Honey badgers don't ever panic. Honey badgers don't ever worry. Honey badgers are never uh, prone to any uh, rumination in their heads. Uh, well, no. You know what a honey badger is? A honey badger is someone who can go on Joe Rogan and admit to that story because it's empowering. Not to me, because I've received a million emails since from people who've had panic attacks and said, my God, you don't know how much you've helped me by going on such a large platform, number one platform in the world, and talking about a frailty that you faced. Right. And, and what allowed me to do that, Mr. Rye? It's my sense of self. I said, I'm not going to be diminished 
by sharing this very real thing that happened to me. I'm not sure why it happened. I'm not a very self-confident guy, but something happened. I had a physiological reaction that was very scary uh, that I think if I talk about it might help others. And I'm going to go into Joe Rogan with full self-assuredness and share my story because hopefully it will help others. So I don't think there's a magic recipe. Here's Here are the steps one, two, three to how to be self-confident and to be self-assured. But just be real. Be real. You know, I know what I know. I know what I don't know. I know my strengths. I know what I contribute to the world. I know what some of my faults are. You know, I, I answer my wife curtly in some way. I, I go back and beg for forgiveness because I know I was wrong. Uh, so be humble, be real, be authentic, and uh, good things will happen to you, sir. Best of luck in the job market. Keep it going. Let's keep it going. Uh, 58%. Yes, 58%. The progressive thing is at 53, but when you add up all the stuff, it ends up being actually more than 58%. Purple spell, Speckled Apple Eater, what a name. Thank you for your contribution. What is your opinion about the economic and political issues in Lebanon? I asked a Lebanese guy, and he said Lebanon needs a king. Some people claim too many nations and political groups are involved in Lebanese. Well, I already addressed this earlier today. Maybe you weren't here. I don't know the specifics of the latest uh, election that happened last week. I almost feel... I don't want to be pessimistic that Lebanon may be a permanently failed state. Well, permanent might be too big a word. Too much corruption, too much tribalism, too much identity politics, not enough banding around a common set of values, right? So there are the Druze and the Maronites and the Sunni Islam and the Shia. Uh, of course, there are no more Jews in Lebanon because they magically disappeared in the tolerant progressive Lebanon. Uh, and so... Everybody is first a member of their tribe before they're a member of a common Lebanon. That's wrong. Even today, after we were chased out of Lebanon, people ask me, what are you? I, I don't say, you know, I'm Jewish. I say, I'm, I'm Lebanese. I'm, yes, I'm Lebanese Jewish, but I'm Lebanese. That's where I'm born, right? So for me, despite all that's happened to me, I still love Lebanon. I, despite the stuff that all of my family has faced in Lebanon. So those of you who read The Parasitic Mind, know about the stuff that we went through horrifying but i'm lebanese okay my mother tongue is arabic okay the food i eat is lebanese the songs i listen to is arabic so uh i think if people were to put aside their tribal bullshit and truly unite around i mean by the way that's what made the u.s great it's the first you know functioning democracy i mean yes of course we could say india but india has some greater friction amongst its different castes historically it's different you know religious groups you know the us had found the perfect recipe and now we're saying no 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 let's let's forego this incredible experiment called the united states and let's sink back into tribal bullshit you know i'm the first indigenous trans transgender muslim like the the the, the moron the the new press secretary what are your qualifications, idiot? We don't care that you're gay and you're black. Nobody gives a shit. What, you know, can you speak on issues? No, 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 shut up. I'm a lesbian who is who is black. That's my qualifications. Hey, Kamala Harris, what are your qualifications? Shut up, racist, sexist. I'm a woman of color. Shut up. So Lebanon, unfortunately, is the perfect exemplar of that kind of logic, coupled with endemic, systemic corruption. Not sure you can get out of it. So I'm not very optimistic. Let's go on. Let's keep it going. Nick van der Kloek, I understood that you are involved in many projects, research, writing. Do you have certain time management systems put in place? I drown in work. What a great question. You know, 
I'm someone who's very much of a vagabond, or in French, we say flaneur. I like to float, okay? Today, I feel like being creative, but maybe I don't have the mental juice to, you know, do a statistical analysis on a peer-reviewed paper. It's it's going into third round, but I still want to be productive. Okay, let me do a super chat live stream because I can still get my creative juices going. Uh, and, you know, if later I feel energized, I can work on a paper or on my book. So the way that I organize my time, in a sense, is I don't organize my time. I just go with how the spirit moves me. So I'm, I'm working all the time, nonstop. I can be working 18-hour days. But what stresses me the most is if you tell me from 12 to 2, you have a meeting, 2 to this, you have that, that then my head explodes. I just want to freewheel it. That's why my first two live streams were impromptu. People said to me, they wrote to me and said, you can't have a live stream just like that. Press a button, go live. Nobody's going to come. And yet, you know, I had hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands of comments because I just, I'm, 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 you know, instinctual in that way. I'm impulsive. I just, I go with how the spirit moves me. So uh, that's actually one of the, the, the prescriptions I have in my forthcoming book on how to live a good life. As I say, no, try to find a job that grants you temporal freedom and, and task freedom, right? I work probably harder than 99% of people, but I'm doing it on my own terms. I'm working on whatever excites me that day. So even though I'm working, I'm not asking someone when I can have a bathroom break. And actually, there's incredible research that shows that whether you have temporal freedom in your job or not is correlated to some serious health downstream effects. So seek freedom. When I talked in chapter one of the parasitic mind that the two life ideals by which I... I, you know, I, I shape my life, our freedom and truth. I, I really meant it. So thank you for that question. I hope that you're able to manage your workload, Mr. Their clock. Okay. Oh, it just skipped a whole bunch. Let me go back. Let me go back. Let me go back. Oh, yeah. I understand. Okay. We're going to Alpha Dog Elite 3. Thank you so much for your contribution. 27% uh, of men under age 30, but over age 18 report not having sex at all. Any thoughts on this? Sounds pretty rough out there for young men. Uh, it is. I mean, I guess that's the whole, quote, incel story. Look, uh, women drive, make choice, right? They're the ones who, by the way, this is one of the reasons why I got so upset at that moron, uh, Paulina Proskokova, whatever her name is. You know, her whole life, she's a supermodel. Her whole life, she's treated as one of the most beautiful women in the world. But when her beauty starts to wane, such that now she goes to parties and men are not lining up to get her attention, some men are just ignoring her. Why is the patriarchy? So you you execrable Cretan, when you were rejecting thousands of men a day who were just desperate to get a hello from you, that was perfectly good. The dynamics were fine then. But when now you're 58 or whatever you are, and now men are finding you less attractive, they'd rather go to the 23-year-old woman. Oh, men are such pigs. Why are they so evil? I'm ready to mingle. And so I actually have a whole section in my forthcoming book uh, as a life lesson, you know, don't be Paulina the moron, Okay. Uh, it's tough out there. I'm, I'm thankful that uh, I'm, I'm married and tucked away because, uh, look, the good news is that, you know, at least for how attractive men are on the mating market, many of the qualities that matter to women, you could improve on, right? If you have high social status, if you have a great job, if you're ambitious, if you are productive, that's sexy to a woman. That's as sexy to a woman as a gorgeous, you know, baby got back. Right. So, uh, you know, you, you're not six foot one. Okay. 
too bad, but you can make up for that height. You can be charming. You can be funny. You can be intelligent. You can be well-read. You can be ambitious. And so the problem, I think, with a lot of men is that just like with the 800-pound woman who says, well, why aren't more men loving me? The patriarchy made them not love me. A lot of men want to sit in the basement, play video games all day, be utter imbeciles, you know, bathe every six months, right? Uh, speak with a nasal voice. And say, but, but why, why isn't there an orderly line of Beyonce women wanting to have massive animalistic sex with me? Well, asshole, put yourself in the best position. Get off the couch, right? I mean, I know that Jordan got huge success for his book and, and he's wonderful and he's a good friend, but, you know, preaching a message of personal responsibility is hardly, oh, gee, Jordan Peterson is the first guy to say this. I mean, every single wise person throughout all of human history has said that, you know, get off the cave, so to speak, go out there and hunt, do something, be ambitious. So I think, uh, you know, my best advice to young men is, you know, be productive, be ambitious, do important things. And ladies will pay attention. I'm not promising you that you'll have a lineup of ladies, but Picasso, ugly, short little guy, had a lineup of, of sexual conquests. Why? Because he's Picasso. So get out there, be productive, and the sex will come. All right. Thank you very much, Alpha Dog Elite 3. Carl Rogers, thank you so much for your contribution. No comments there. Casey Kuhn. Wow. Kuhn. Thomas Kuhn, the philosopher of science. I don't know if he's related to you. Thomas Kuhn. Unbelievable paradigmatic shifts comes from Thomas Kuhn. One of Brett and Heather's fans built a Q&A site so they could recapture the roughly 30% of Super Chat they had been losing to YouTube. Gets more worthwhile the more often you do these Q&As. Okay, could you send me an email? I have no idea what you're talking about, but it sounds interesting. Anytime I see someone saying you could save money from parasites stealing your money, I'm listening. And if there is a tax accountant or a tax lawyer that can help me recoup the money that was stolen. I have one month left to fix things because I have to file, even though I paid the money, I, I haven't filed my papers. So I can, if, if there are legal ways that by which I can protect my money, please contact me. Don't give me the bullshit. Well, you know, incorporate, right? I, I need clear ways by which I can retroactively make sure that my money is protected. If you've got any of that, send me an email. I'm all ears. All right, let's move on. Louis, thank you so much for your contribution. Is it possible to say female rappers who rap about male typical status symbols are doing so just drawing attention to their familiarity, similar to women wearing men's clothes being cute? I mean, maybe it would be speculative. I, I'm not exactly sure which female rappers are doing the male stuff. Uh, you know, most of the rapping, the rapping uh, stuff that I'm aware of, it falls under typical sex-specific stuff. Women are singing, I don't want no scrub. Uh, you know, if you don't have a J-O-B, you, you're not going to get with me. I'm actually singing lyrics from actual songs. Uh, and men sing about, you know, you're beautiful, you're so beautiful. So the, the exact same, the, the exact things that you expect from an Alushe perspective is how most of the song lyrics around the world, whether it's an Urdu song, an Arabic song, a troubadour from a thousand years ago, or whether it's a hip hop song today, it is a reflection of innate human nature. Thank you very much, Louis, for your contribution and for your question. Sid Dave is back. Wow, thank you. What do you think about this retroactive cancellation of historical figures because they own slave? I mean, by that logic, all of humanity before 21st century will be canceled for homophobia, transphobia, of course, right? I said earlier, 
Every single society has been defined by the fact that it was either enslaved or held slaves. That's it. That's that's a default value. It's a very, very small bleep in human history whereby people haven't owned other people as slaves. I'm a slave to, to this current government. I mean, literally, I'm a I'm a 0.58% slave. Only I'm only 42% a free individual with personhood who can make his own money from his own creative outputs so that I can advance my own family. 58% is owned by someone else. So slavery is hardly something new, uh, whether we mean it in the context of the current punitive taxation or we mean it in a literal, I own you uh, because I am your master, you're my slave. This is something that's hardly uh, you know, specific to the United States, not to minimize it. It's, it's, of course, it's horrible. And luckily, most places in the world have uh, you know, eradicated slavery, but it still exists in some places. Go to the Libya slave markets and tell me about it. So yeah, it's bullshit. This whole thing of let's cancel, you know, oh, you know, Charles Darwin spoke to his cousin. His cousin had said something that seems to be related to eugenics. So fuck Charles Darwin. Let's, let's get rid of him. Moronic, idiotic, fascist, authoritarian, bullshit. Adam Schwa, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Thank you so much for your contribution. Big fan, love your content. Appearances on Rogan, Tom Woods. Oh, yes, Tom Woods. I've been on his show, I think, twice. I've yet to invite him on mine, so I'll try to do that soon. If I sent you a short film, I director, would you watch it and send me your reaction? It's 10 minutes about propaganda and education. Is dark side. I think you'll dig. Uh, maybe. It's very hard for me to commit to such requests. You're putting me on the spot under a super chat thing. I receive, you know, probably several hundred such requests a day. If I did that for every single person, I could wake up in the morning at seven, go to bed at, at midnight, and I would only be obliging free requests. So, you know, we need to be fair. You don't go see your vet for free. You don't go see your accountant for free. So you want to, you know, you want my input, then probably we'll have to strike up some kind of consulting deal. You know, now, you're being callous. You're being a Jew, Dr. Saad. I mean, to think that people want to pay you for your expertise and time, that's crazy. No banker would do that. No lawyer would do that. No surgeon would do that. No bus driver would do that. Why are you such a pig, Dr. Saad? Why are you charging for your time? That makes no sense. So I'd be happy to look at it uh, if the conditions are right. Thank you. Louis is back. I'm thinking it's the same. Your theory. Communism is a persistent idea pathogen because we could have lived in commune-like tribes in prehistory. We're not sharing did mean you were hoarding and taking from others. Uh, I mean, there's definitely uh, some evolutionary theories that have uh, looked at certain forms of egalitarianisms, egalitarianism in hunter-gatherer societies. But even in those societies, it's not that people are not hierarchical. There's still a big chief. There's still this hunter who is better than this hunter, and therefore he gets more ladies from the tribe. So there are mechanisms whereby you create fairness in a society whilst not usurping or 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 or, or uh, squashing the fact that we are not all equal equal in our abilities in our talents in our proclivities and so so you know we have to not mix these things communism is a socio-political economic system that is perfectly antithetical to human nature some of the egalitarianism that you see in hunter-gatherer societies that might be a signature of our evolutionary past is not that but thank you for your question people in the near two hours, g give me a number. How much more have you learned than any of the bullshit you learned in your university? Let's make it count. Dr. Harleen Ginzel, 
thank you so much for your contribution. Ilhan Omar and other leftists have claimed that the U.S. is founded on genocide and slavery. I wonder if they believe that if Arabs, Ottomans, or Mongols would have treated natives with love and kindness, had they... Yes, absolutely, absolutely. The Mongols, when Genghis Khan uh, conquered everything from Mongolia all the way, he was stopped in Hungary, held the largest amount of land ever of any, any occupier. He did it by playing very white music. You know what I mean? It wasn't through violence. He was just loving. He just gave people free massage. That's how he conquered it. Islam, by the way, conquered, you know, hundreds of millions of people have been killed, you know, by the uh, subjugation of this beautiful, noble religion, all done in peace. You know, you just play very white music with a bit of violin. And that's how they... You know, Indonesia and Malaysia became, you know, whatever, all the different countries. I mean, by the way, in some countries, it was Islamized, not through the great violence. But in most places, that's why Islam has the sword. The sword is not usually an instrument of peace. The sword is not meant to cut tomatoes. It's meant to cut necks, smite at the neck. So yes, Ilhan Omar is a, Extra, excrement of a human being. She is an affront to human decency. She's allowed to flourish in the United States and all she ever does is uh, insult the country that hosted her and gave her every opportunity. She's a cancer to the human spirit. Dr. Uh, Harleen Kinzel is back. Thank you so much. Also, is it not hypocritical to say U.S. founded on genocide when you chose to immigrate to it and are benefiting? Of course. That's, that's, that's what's so galling about this pig, right? Pig, this haram pig. Pig is haram. Let me call her a pig multiple times. She comes to the U.S. She doesn't have an, a, a hint of gratitude. You know, I love the U.S. It freed me from the hellhole of Somalia. And now I'm here and I'm one of the most powerful people in the U.S. I'm a sitting, excuse me, congresswoman. Look at my story. Instead of elevating people. I recently had Ayan Hersi Ali on my show. I haven't yet released the chat. Ayan Hersi Ali is from Somalia. Compare Ayan Hersi Ali to this pig, Ilhan Omar. It's unbelievable. So I'm with you, doctor. Not good. Oh, sorry. I skipped a bunch. Let me go back. I need to go back to doctor. Where is she? Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, Carl Rogers, thank you for your contribution. Uh, Alpha Dog Elite, thanks again for the response, sir. My pleasure. Uh, Carl Rogers, keep it up. Thank you, sir. Carl Rogers just donated. Very much appreciate it. All around sound. Thank you for your contribution. Hey, doc. Thank you for your work. Have you read The Prince, Nicola, uh, Niccolo uh, Machiavelli? If so, what are your thoughts and what translation did you read? Uh, English. Uh, Machiavellianism, by the way, is a trait that has been studied uh, via an evolutionary lens. In this book, The Evolutionary Basis of Consumption, I briefly talk about that. So, for example, uh, politicians are Machiavellian, of course. Uh, salespeople who are successful are Machiavellian. So Machiavellian can have a negative connotation. You know, you're manipulative. But also when you talk about social intelligence, there's an element to social intelligence that's Machiavellian. So for example, the fact that I have to navigate through different customers and sell them different pitches so that I can get them to buy my product. Some would call that, you know, someone who is adept at selling. Well, that incorporates an, el an element of Machiavellianism, right? Uh, so Machiavellianism should not always be, uh, you know, uh, confused with duplicity. It is also a fundamental feature of social intelligence. Uh, so yes, uh, 
of course, I'm very well aware of Machiavelli, right? Machiavelli basically said, the political philosopher, you know, it doesn't matter if the population thinks that the leader, uh, if, if it's true that the leader is honest or not, what's important is that the, you know, the populace believes that he is a, you know, he is honest. That's why when it's political campaign season, you see the politicians holding a baby. Why? Because look at me, I'm empathetic, I'm nurturing, I'm a fatherly or motherly figure. That's why the babies come out. So that's Machiavellian. So I hear you. Thank you very much. All around sounds. Nick van der Kloek is back. Oh, thank you so much uh, for coming back. Thanks for all the great answers, Gad. Last question is being becoming bald as a man and non-attractive. I wish you two women greetings from the Netherlands, I'm guessing, uh, because van der, right? Uh, uh, look, uh, I have seen some studies. I haven't looked at them carefully that say, oh, you know, uh, uh, you know, being somewhat bald is is attractive because it's correlated to somehow a surcharge of testosterone. I, I can't remember the exact story. I don't know about that. Uh, I can't speak too much of it. Uh, I would like to think that all other things equal, more hair is better than less hair. But as I said, if you're bald and you're a man, you could make up for it in a, one of a thousand different ways. That's why mate, mating is a compensatory process, meaning I can compensate for one lacuna by doing well on other traits, right? I'm not the tallest guy, but I have other qualities that hopefully make up for the fact that I'm not six foot one. So you're bald, so what? You could be charming, you could have a chiseled face, you could be a neurosurgeon, you could be fun, uh, you could be well-read, uh, you could be confident, and suddenly nobody gives a damn whether you have hair or not. So there you go. All right, let's move on, let's keep it going. I'm almost uh, out of time, guys, 3.30, I have to stop. Uh, all right. Uh, Pat Stedman's Polish passport. Okay. Thank you for your, uh, uh, question. Professor, how do people integrate their shadow? I have had a hard time distinguishing between honey badger and a complete asshole. Uh, well, that very much, uh, I'm, th I'm guessing you mean shadow in the Jungian sense. Uh, you know, life is about modulation, right? Uh, we, you know, what's the difference as you're kind of hinting at between honey badger and asshole? Uh, what's the difference between confidence and arrogance it's a fine line to thread right fine needle to thread uh and i think what makes people either charismatic and desirable or not is how they navigate those fine fine lines right uh you know are you able to exhibit self-assuredness right so when i do all that grandiose bombastic bombastic stuff most people understand it and appreciate it because they know that in a sense, I'm being self-deprecating. On the one hand, I can do that. On the other hand, I could call myself a former fat walrus, right? So there I'm threading. On the one hand, I'm being bombastic in my grandiosity. On the other hand, I'm being self-deprecating. So I don't think there's a singular recipe. I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's really about modulating, uh, you know, where you fall on that line. Uh, you know, if you're, I think if you're too self-deprecating, it becomes kind of annoying and whiny. Uh, if you're too self-confident that you never exhibit any insecurities, I think that's also uh, untrustworthy, right? Because nobody is always, right? If I share my story about the panic attack, that builds trust. It shows that I can go on a very popular show and say, hey, you know, I too suffer from issues. And then people respect you more. So uh, just be real. Don't be frivolously mean. I can be tough on social media. I can go after someone, but I always do it with a smile on my face. I always do it with a twinkle in my eye. I'm never trying to cause, even the person that is a detractor, I'm never trying to fatally hurt them. 
maybe I'm trying to get a message across. You've been insulting me for six days and I've had enough. You know, okay, let's let's brawl. But uh, if that person wrote to me and said, you know what, you you truly hurt me, I would feel very bad. And so just be real, be authentic, be kind, uh, be a honey badger when you need to be. And I think things will fall into place. Thank you for that. EUP, that's me. Thank you for your contribution. People can tip via PayPal without fees, just need an email. I do have a PayPal uh, link. You can go to my YouTube channel at the top. You can see all the donation portals, subscribe star, Patreon, PayPal. You could donate there. Soon I will be on Locals. That will be subscription-based model where I'll have all kinds of exclusive stuff. So I hope you will all sign up. Look, if if three, four, five thousand people out of the huge audience that I have were to subscribe to that, I would have the financial freedom to pursue some really big things. And so, and, and it would cost the average person, you know, five dollars a month, seven dollars a month. So I hope that you will, when when I come knocking, I hope that you will respond to the call. Nathan Poisnel, just a straight donation. Thank you so much. Purple speckle, speckled apple eater. Thank you so much for your contribution. I am a Franco-American. Should people of French-Canadian or mixed indigenous Canadian descent in America celebrate our Canadian like other ethnic groups in America do despite our culture? Look, uh, there's nothing wrong with celebrating your unique, uh, you know, ethnic and cultural background. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, part of my identity is that, you know, I'm Lebanese Jew, but it's probably the most exotic, you know, ethnicity. You know, people, you say that, people freak out, right? I mean, what, Lebanese Jew, wow, that's exotic. So it's part of my heritage. Uh, I'm, I'm quote proud. I say proud because, I mean, there's nothing for me to be proud about in the sense that it is what it is. I didn't do anything to be Lebanese Jews, Jewish. I was born like that. Uh, but yes, I, I'm proud of many, many elements of my heritage. And I can also be a universalist, meaning that I believe that there are certain realities that unite us independently of who we are. The scientific method does. That's why it's beautiful. Diversity, inclusion, and equity doesn't. That's why it's a bunch of bullshit cancer. So I think there's nothing wrong with you celebrating your unique personhood, your your unique cultural background, whilst also melting into a greater pot. I think both of these can happen at the same time. Almost out of time, guys. Let me try to at least clear the last few uh, uh, super chats. Path Hacker. With every mass shooting, I revisit Cain and Abel. Perhaps if God had addressed the shortcomings of his offering, differently murder for humanity could have been avoided. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you're using the, that story as an allegory, as, as a metaphor. Is, is, are you being literal? Uh, I think, I mean, so I don't know if I'm going to be answering your exact question. I, I, don't, I don't think we would have gotten rid of murder uh, as part of the human repertoire of behaviors as a function of how we responded to Abel and Cain. Uh, so if that's your very specific microscopic point, I no, I don't buy that. I do think, though, that the Bible is important. So contrary to what my, some people think, they think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm hostile to religion. I'm not at all, actually. I'm hostile to religion when it tries to make claims within the science domain as though it is competing with science. No, 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 it's not. There are elements of religion that we can draw great uh, uh, depth from uh, because it is part of a collective wisdom. Uh, so forget about Jung with his collective consciousness. I mean, you know, many of these ideas that are found in religious texts have stood at the test of time. Some of them are complete bullshit. If you draw all of your morality from the Old Testament, good luck because there's a lot of really immoral shit in the Old Testament. Okay. 
so uh, I think we can we can read these books as a as historical books. We could read them as literature. I don't mean literature in a pejorative sense that oh it's it's derogatory. They're important historical documents. We can read them, and we can either imbue them with a celestial divine you know tint or not. But we can certainly study them, and so in that sense, I'm hardly uh, hostile to religion. Okay, wrapping it up, guys. We did go the full two hours. Ronnie S. What groups will vote Republican outside of white Americans? I think Republicans need to reach out to Indian Americans, Christians fleeing communism, Hindus, Christians fleeing Islam. These groups can vote Republican. I, I agree, of course. I'm, I'm always amazed that so many Jews continue to vote Democrat. I'm still amazed that so many uh, black people in the United States still vote Democrat. You know What has the Democratic Party done for black people in the United States? Go ahead. List me the things. I'll sit here and listen for the next four hours and I'll get nothing. So I think it's just inertia. You know, my, my uncle voted and my grandfather and my great grandfather voted Democrat. Therefore that's what we do. You know, it's ridiculous. It's bullshit. Look at the issues and then decide whether, you know, party A or party B is the one that adheres to your uh, values. Okay, guys, I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, let me just, I, I want to finish my Ronnie S., I think that I've only got two more, so I'll just do these two, and then we will end it, okay? I'll do AG and Gina Dilia Viris. Who will win the next World Cup? Cheers. This is from AG. Uh, I would love to thank Belgium for several reasons. Number one, I love the idea of a new country that has yet to win the World Cup to win it. So uh, I would love that. I would love Argentina to win it because I think it's a crime against aesthetics for Lionel Messi to not have won the World Cup. He came close in 2014, but failed in the final because if Higuain had scored one of the seven possible goals that you know an amoeba could have scored, then he would have been world champion. Uh, who, who do I think will win? It's, it's hard to tell, but it's the usual suspects. It is France. It is, I mean, Germany's coming back. They sucked in the last World Cup. You know, it'll be Brazil. It'll be Argentina. It'll be one of the teams that you expect. From the teams that has yet to win it, I'm fully with Belgium because I'm a huge fan of De Bruyne. I think he is a magic guy. He's got the footballing IQ of Einstein on a soccer field. And uh, he's just elegant. He's technical. He's majestic. So I'm hoping for either Argentina or Belgium, but we'll see. And finally, uh, Gina Diliaviris, uh, who wrote, thank you. Thank you so much. Guys, this was so much fun. Oh, how do you... Th okay, we got another one. We got, a, we got another one. I, I can't walk away if someone gives me a super chat. You're going to keep me here for all, all day. EUP, that's me. How do you think Concordia is doing on the liberal-conservative split? I recently graduated from GMSP and found it to be less liberal than average. Well, you must have been hanging around different crowds than I, than I have. Uh, I think overall, it's a very, 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 very woke place. Probably one of the wokest universities in Canada. Uh, yes, there are people who are uh, more uh, conservative inclined, but shh, they're usually hiding in the shadows. They're the ones writing to me, dear Dr. Saad, I'm so happy that you're at Concordia. Please, please don't say to anybody that I'm a conservative. So un un until we get to a place where people are not afraid to simply say, hey, I support this party or that party or this prime minister or that prime minister, then we are not building good universities. Okay, guys. Thank you so much. This was fantastic. I had such a great time. Two hours and two minutes. Uh, I will try to have these 
at least once a week, probably twice a week. If I do end up going on Rumble and Locals, I might end up having one on each of the platforms. These details have to still be worked out. But for now, I will continue to be having these uh, YouTube live chats. Thank you so much for your support. I hope you come back again. To all those of you who donated, thank you for your generosity. Have a great day, and I'll see you soon. Cheers, everybody. Ciao.